and Pogba leaves for McTominay! Magnificent! Torres, he's done it again! He has fizzed that into the bottom corner. Vardy for Chowdhury. And set for Madison! Alisson saw Salah running from his own half, so onside here, Mo Salah. Salah to settle it! In front of the cop! There's no feeling like that feeling! And now you've got to believe them. You have got to believe them. Hey guys, welcome back to the 3PL podcast. There's no letting up in the Premier League as fixtures continue to come thick and fast. Later on, we'll have Dom on from the Fulhamish podcast talking all things Fulham. So stay tuned for that. But uh, let's get straight into our previews for the upcoming game week in the Premier League. Uh, starting on the weekend with Aston Villa versus Arsenal. Two teams who are fairly in form at the moment. We saw at the weekend, Aston Villa picked up a, a dodgy win against Southampton. I thought VAR played a massive part in that and they got a very controversial 1-0 win. And then Arsenal, again, weren't quite able to get the draw over the line against Manchester United. And they stay unbeaten. Seven games unbeaten for them, which is a good run. But yeah, it's got all the makings for quite an intriguing matchup, actually. I would expect Arsenal to probably get the best of Aston Villa here. But again, Aston Villa are very difficult to predict this season. We've seen some really poor performances lately from them, especially against Burnley a couple of weeks ago. But then they can just turn it on. Maybe not against Southampton, but they, they did play well in that game and they got the win. So probably slightly edged towards Arsenal for this matchup. But it's going to be a close game, I think. Yeah, I do think it's going to be a close game because they're both at very similar points in the league table, um, albeit Aston Villa have got a couple of games in hand and they have sort of really been the better of the two teams consistently over the season. But then, as you said, Arsenal's form has been fantastic recently and, and they'll obviously back themselves to move in to carry on that form and get a win against Aston Villa. I think the, the thing that I just want to sort of say from the outset for all of these games, it's getting to the point where it's so hard to predict these because the games are coming so fast that you know, you have no idea how it's going to affect teams' um, sort of level of fitness. The fatigue kicks in. I mean, consistently when we're recording these, there's a whole round of midweek fixtures between the games that we're talking about and, and when we're actually recording. So, so much can change in, in that time. But yeah, I think going on what we know so far, that you would think that Arsenal would be probably have a slight edge over Aston Villa. We'll probably talk a little bit more about the, the Southampton element when we when we come on to Southampton's game coming up. But I mean, obviously, I think we both agree that Aston Villa didn't necessarily show anything particularly special in that game. Do you think there is an element of fatigue coming into their game through their fixtures? Or do you think they're, you know, it was just a, a sort of grinding out a, a win once they got that first goal and, and sat back for the second half a bit more? Well, yeah, like you said, I think Aston Villa have probably been the worst hit in terms of fixture congestion. They've had that prolonged period where they didn't have too many games in the Premier League due to a COVID outbreak. And then they've had almost four games within 10 days now. And Every time you turn up, you're not really too sure what their fitness levels are going to be, how they're going to play. We saw against Burnley, they looked really good for 45 minutes. And then in the second half, they let in some really poor goals from their point of view against Burnley. And then against Southampton, I think they got extremely fortunate that they got a goal. VAR was on their side and they were able to see it through because we had a fairly weak team in, in terms of what we would usually put out. So like you said, different permutations are now going to start playing parts in games. If a team do have injuries within their squad, then they're obviously going to perform worse on the day. And that's kind of what happened to Southampton. We weren't able to create anything to really hurt Aston Villa too much. And yeah, it's a shame really that that's what it's come down to in terms of how fit your squad are. And that's going to determine how you play in games. But that's kind of where we are in the season now. And I guess it's credit to Villa that they've been fairly consistent up until now. And it'll be interesting to see if they can carry it through. One of the more I don't know, interesting storylines in this game, I guess, is is Martinez, Emi Martinez at Aston Villa now, keeping his 10th clean sheet of the season against Southampton. Uh, that's more than Leno for Arsenal. And for your money, do you think he's the uh, signing of the season so far? He's he's definitely up there, isn't he? One of the best players this season in terms of uh, consistent output every single game. He's been really, really good for Villa, not just in terms of keeping clean sheets, because sometimes that can be a slightly deceptive statistic, but in terms of how how many vital saves he's made. I mean, he made he made a couple of big saves in the in the game against Southampton, which could have easily been goals. And he always just looks confident in his box. He looks to command the area, and and he looks like he's going to save the shots that come at him, sort of from whatever angle. I've been really really impressed with him, and I know we said before I can't really understand why he was allowed to sort of go under the radar for so long at Arsenal and then and get let go. But Aston Villa have profited from that massively, and I, I think without him. 
their fortunes could well have been slightly different this season because as good as they've been as a team, they have been saved by him on many, many occasions. Yeah, totally. And if they're not saved by him, they're saved by Matt Cash. In terms of prediction for this one, I think I'm going to just about side on Arsenal. I think they're probably slightly stronger at this stage of the season with less injury concerns. Uh, I think Aubameyang's back in training now, which is huge for them. So I'm going to go for a narrow 2-1 win for Aston Villa, but it could go either way. Like you said, I think it's just these predictions at this point in the season could could go out the window before you even know it. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a tough one to call because, as we said, fixture congestion is really tricky. The, the strange thing that I saw as well, I think, if I'm right, only one substitution was made by Aston Villa in the entire game with Southampton in the 96th minute. And I thought, if you've got that kind of fixture congestion, surely, you know, you've got Sanson on the bench who's just come in. Surely get him in for the last 20 minutes, give him a run around, give someone else a break. But clearly Dean Smith knows better than I do um, and, and he decided not to. So maybe there'll be a bit of rotation in that squad for the Arsenal game. Who knows? I've gone with a 1-1 draw. I just I think these teams could sort of, they play a similar sort of style um, at the moment. And I think they could grind each other down at that stage and, and end up with a shared point load I think but we'll have to see it's going to be a really interesting one because they're both both got a chance to win and could both easily capitulate as well from what we've seen in the past um okay moving on to the next game another uh, game of two teams who are very very close in the table very similar fortunes so far this season Burnley against Brighton at Turf Moor it's the first three o'clock kickoff of Saturday it's going to be a nice cold one up in Burnley for, for the Brighton players heading up there on paper this doesn't look like a great game but then obviously with Brighton having just got a huge victory against Tottenham um, and Burnley obviously had, had some couple of really impressive results in the last few games as well. Um, it could actually be a, a sort of a, a dark horse this weekend. Yeah, you never know with games like this. They could turn out to be really boring or they could turn out to be the game of the weekend. Yeah, Burnley have been good lately. Yes, they didn't play well against Chelsea, but I think Chelsea were always going to get that new manager, not necessarily a bounce. I don't think they were exceptional in that game, but they did enough to beat Burnley and I don't think it was anything to do with Burnley's performance. Yes, they weren't great, but you know it's difficult to play against a team who are full of confidence with a new manager. So I don't think that results too much to look at. And then you look at Brighton, who finally got their first win of the season at home. A massive milestone for them, something I'm sure they've been aiming for for a long time. And they've got it against a good team as well. They got it against Tottenham. Yes, they weren't at their best without Harry Kane, but a win's a win in this division. And that's a huge win for Brighton to pull them away from danger. And lately, both these teams look like they're going to pull away a little bit. We saw some really good results for Burnley a couple of weeks ago. And if Brighton can start putting together a couple of results, it won't be long before they're looking you know, towards the top of the table, not the bottom. So it's a tough match to call. I still favour Burnley, I think, even if they are missing Wood, I think, this weekend. I think he picked up an injury against Chelsea, but I still fancy them to just about out-physical Brighton, I guess. Uh, I expect them to be the more physical side and maybe just edge the game that way by winning 1-0 and narrowly grinding out a clean sheet. Yeah, I've I've gone for a nil-nil in this one, actually. I think it, it could, unfortunately, although these teams have had some good results, I think they could, again, force each other to play a boring style of football and, and end up with a really, really dull game, um, which is definitely how I see it going. They're two teams that I don't look out for on the TV schedule, um, and I think, unfortunately, that's how it's going to go. But, you know, we, I've been massively wrong about these games, these kind of games before. Um, as you said, you can never tell. So I'm I'm, I'm hoping to be pleasantly surprised. Also at three o'clock on Saturday, Newcastle taking on Southampton. Newcastle off the back of a really, really impressive victory against Everton. I thought they were really clinical. Callum Wilson especially just deserves a huge amount of praise for his involvement in both of the goals, um, especially the second goal. Um, took it really, really well. Lovely finish. And it's what you expect from Callum Wilson, what we saw him do time and time again for Bournemouth. Um, and then obviously Southampton off the back of a really, really frustrating game against Aston Villa. I sort of feel like there may be some some real anger and passion coming into this game from some of those Southampton players, especially from the fans anyway. Yeah, it's a tough matchup for us, I think. Obviously, if we'd had some better form going into this game, I'd be optimistic. But the way we're playing at the moment and with the injuries we're picking up week after week, it's a difficult one to be optimistic about, especially after that Aston Villa game at the weekend. Uh, I thought we were very unlucky and, and almost robbed by VAR of a point or maybe three. So it, it's a tough game for us to be positive about. And then coming into this game, obviously, you would expect us to be optimistic against Newcastle but then they've just come off a really long losing run by beating you know seventh place Everton so you'd expect they'll be pretty buoyed by that and they're welcoming back players like St Maximan and you know maybe it's the start of a mini recovery for Newcastle and I wouldn't be surprised either if that does happen and from what I remember of this fixture going up to Newcastle has never done us particularly well it's a long distance obviously I'm sure the players aren't too keen on that long journey and we never seem to get a result in Newcastle so I'm struggling to be positive about this game 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I would like to predict a draw, but the way things are going and the injuries we've now picked up, I think we're now missing Theo Walcott and Romeo on top of the injuries we already had. So it's going to be a struggle for us, I think. Yeah, I can definitely see where the sort of the lack of optimism is coming from there. And obviously, there's been some poor results recently. But I, I actually, I've gone for a two 0 victory for you on this one. I think a bit more optimistic than you. I do think the the Newcastle win against Everton, whilst it was a good performance, I do think it's a blip. You don't come off a run of horrific form and horrific results and suddenly just turn it around with one win against um, a club who have been beaten by teams lower in the league this season already. So I don't think it's a sign of a massive change for Newcastle. I think every team is going to have their day. I feel more like they're going to go back to being pretty abysmal in this game against Southampton. And I'm sure you're hoping that that's the case. I've, I've put, yeah, I've put the few to come away with a 2-0 win. I think obviously, yeah, a couple more injuries. Walcott is obviously a bit of a loss, but with Ings and Adams there as well, and you know James Ward-Prowse as well has obviously got the ability from free kicks, as we've said time and time again. So I think you've got enough in this game to get the win. That's oh, nice to hear some positive words about Southampton when I fail to muster any. All right, moving on to Fulham. We have Dom joining us today, Dom Betts from the Fulhamish podcast. So it'd be great to get his insight onto how Fulham have done this season, how they're getting on, whether they're going to need to make a signing in January or whether they're going to go with the same team they've had for this half of the season. So, uh, Dom, how do you think the season's gone so far from a Fulham point of view? It's a bit of a weird one because we had that obviously diabolical start to the season where we were conceding goals left, right and centre. You know, we played Arsenal on the opening day. I think we conceded three goals there. You know, Aston Villa, there was sort of a stage of the season where we conceded like the opening five minutes of every single half or, or, so, or something something crazy like that. And then transfer deadline day came and we brought in some defensive reinforcements because that was clearly the issue. We brought in Wacky Manderson uh, on loan from Leon. He obviously did, had moved there for big money from Sampdoria the season before. Uh, brought in Tosin Adarabayo for two million from Manchester City, who's been a great uh, signing. You know, Kenny Tete coming in from Olympic Leon. Um, you know, Anthony Rompson from Wigan and stuff. So, I think the season started badly, and that's probably why we're in the position that we are. If we had these signings um, from the beginning of the season, I think we'd probably actually we probably wouldn't be in the bottom three because we've looked so much better at the back since they came in. But we didn't really get in the full full flow of things because of the delayed transfer window until October. Obviously, it didn't help for us really that I think it was pretty much like a when we from when we won the playoff final to our first game against Arsenal, it was probably less than a month. Like it was, it was, it was absolutely crazy. Obviously, teams in the Champions League and Europa League semi-finals and finals and stuff got the extra time off. Obviously, we we unfortunately didn't get that, but. December and November sort of were good months for us. Like we we were starting to get into the flow of things, um, but still the issues. We still only won two games. We've drawn a lot of games and got some respectable points. You know, against Liverpool at home, where we arguably could have won away at Spurs. We arguably could have won that game. Obviously, we won away at Leicester, but a draw at home to Southampton are obviously on the up this season. But it's getting to the point now where draws aren't enough anymore. We, we we haven't built on that solid foundation of those draws. We haven't started to get three points. You know, we had two massive games in the last week when we played Brighton and Hove Albion and West Brom. And if you're going to stay up, getting two points in those sort of games are good enough. So Scott Parker has found a defensively solid system, but we seem to be in a stage now where we're more afraid to lose than trying to win a game. And I think that's the, I think that's the big problem. Like, I, I think it's, it will be very tough for us to stay up just especially with the results this week with Newcastle beating Everton and Brighton beating Tottenham. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be very hard obviously there is still half the season left so you can't completely write it off but especially if we did get you know four points or even six points out of these two games I think we would be in a, a lot more confident. Obviously as we're recording this there, there's I think a few hours left in the transfer deadline. We've been linked with the likes of Josh Major from Bordeaux who's previously been at Sunderland and actually was originally in our academy. And then you've got Josh King from Bournemouth. So it's it's definitely up front that we've been linked with. But I'm sure we can get on to uh, our struggles when it comes to the goal-scoring department this season. Yeah, um, I was just sort of wanting to comment on what you were saying about all the draws that you've had. I mean, I was looking back at your last few fixtures, excluding the cup games. I think is it seven draws out of the last nine games. Well, yeah, but like it's essentially, essentially we lost to Chelsea and lost to Man United. And we both could have got something out of those games. I think if Anthony yeah. Rompston against Chelsea don't get sent off, I'd argue we, we'd gone to win that game and Lampard probably got sacked a week earlier. And then there was the game against Manchester United. It, you know, they it was they relied to get their goals from our goalkeeper spilling it for Edison Cavani. And then a, a Paul Pogba sort of won the strike from 20, 25 yards out. So we have been in games, but we haven't been scoring that many goals. And, you know, we've been, we it's just that's where our issues have been, really. But, you know, it's, it's you know, we've had we've had these draws, which have been great, but... Yeah, it's just it's just getting those wins, and you know it's great if you can get the points at New uh, against Spurs and against Liverpool, 
But then if you don't back that up by beating your Brightons, uh, your Newcastles, uh, your West Broms, for example, then it, it, it sort of counteracts itself that you're not really progressing to the next stage. Yeah, I guess the, the game against West Brom was probably a massive missed opportunity. I would have thought, I guess you probably weren't particularly happy after the game, but I, I said in our uh, sort of preview to it last week on the episode that felt like it was an absolutely huge game for Fulham. And I thought I actually predicted you to win it and, and get a bit of a gap between yourselves and West Brom. What what do you think went wrong in it? Was it sort of defensive mistakes or was it just sort of a, a just an unfortunate accumulation of various different factors in that one? It was just a lack of a clinical edge. You know, that first half we were completely dominant over them. You know, that obviously we took the lead fairly early on through Bobby Reed, and then he had another chance. Pretty much an identical kind of finish, but he ended up hitting the post. Loftus Cheek had a couple of chances. So realistically, in that first half, we could have been three or four nil up going into half time. But then you look at the last five ten minutes of that first half. Some you know on our podcast, you know uh, some of my some of my mates have been saying you know arrogance. I don't know if it's arrogance as such, but. This is a Sam Allardyce team. He made a change after like 20 minutes. You know you're going to be seeing something else in the second half. You know, you know he's, he's going to rile them up. And obviously you saw that at their equaliser. So it was a massive case of us just not taking our chances in that first half. And then the second half came and we didn't look like we were going to do. And I think an issue that Scott Parker's had, not just this season, but since he's really joined the club and specifically uh, last season in the championship, is when it comes to substitutions, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to react and make a change when he he sort of waits until the 60th, 65th minute. Where, but there's sometimes in games where you can see that he needs to make a change here, and he doesn't make it. So, like if you look at the West Brom game, as soon as he went to a four at the back system, which albeit we haven't been using too much recently, but when you've got the players uh, that we've got, you know, you got Losses Chi, Anamala Lookman, Bobby Reed, Cavalero, Mitrovic. You know, these are players that can play in a four in you know a four two three one system is actually a system I think if we're gonna go for a game, I think we need to start utilising because although the five at the back has instilled a lot of defensive solidity, it's just it's it's causing, you know, a lack of goals up front. But yeah, the West Brom game was simply a fact of us not killing the game in the first half, allowing West Brom back in. They get a goal after two minutes into the second half and you know, it's a pl- completely different game from there onwards. And obviously, we've seen this season that you've struggled to nail down a striker up front. You've had Mitrovic in the team, you've had Bobby Reed, you've had Caballero. So for you, who do you want the rest of the season to to lead the line for Fulham? Who do, who do you think is the man to get you the rest of the goals to keep you up? I think Mitrovic. I think Cavallero, and when he's when he's been one who's predominantly played through the middle, I think he's very the player you want for the system that works. But he's not a number nine. You know, he's a he's an inside forward. And even that, you know, his header against Spurs was the first goal he scored from open play for us in over a year. You know, the last the last goal we scored in play was uh, Hull away from home in the championship. You know, which was yeah, that was early January. I mean, I remember being that game. It was absolutely freezing cold, but frankly, we we, we won the game. You know, no one wants to go to uh, Hull in the middle of January. I can t- I could I could tell you that. And um, but yeah, no, it was it was it. He's worked well for the system, but if you're at number nine, you just need to be more. We need someone clinical up there. And Mitrovic, you know, he can't, it's his first start for a long time on Saturday. And, you know, I understand why he's not been in the team because, you know, it had been working, you know, be getting be getting good results. Obviously he didn't get the wins, but been getting the draws against big teams. And so I understand why, but you know, you saw within the first 15, 20 minutes why we need him. You know, he can hold up the ball and play in the likes of Losses Cheek, uh Lookman, uh Bobby Reed, Cavallero when he came on. I think that it I would be starting Mitrovic. I just think we need to we need to adapt this system to play to Mitrovic's strengths because although it's been great, you know we, you know Mitrovic is, is is a born goal scorer for us. You know his record since he signed for us is probably one in two, one in three. Um, you know the two seasons in the championship have been absolutely sublime, and even when we went down two seasons ago, he still you know got into double double digits for goals in the Premier League. And for a team who was playing as bad as we were, that that sort of shouldn't be sniffed at really. So I think it has to be Mitrovic because he is a born goal scorer. We just need to utilize and adapt this system to find the best way uh, to use him best. And obviously it's deadline day today. We've seen lots of clubs linked to different players. Josh Madger being one of them, like you said earlier. And also Josh King from Bournemouth. Do you think either of those two strikers are the answer for your, your goal-scoring problems at the moment? I don't know if they're the answer, but they're definitely a bet, better than what we've got. Because the issue for us is when it comes to our attacking options, there's not really too much depth there. You know, I feel, and even even in the squad really, there, there are players who are in our squad, but, you know, we've got pl- players like, Although Niskins Cabano had a good run in our playoffs and towards the playoffs, you know, he scored quite some, some very crucial goals like the free kick um, away at Cardiff in the playoff semi-final first leg. The thing is, these players like him, Abubakar Kamara, 
you know, they were backups for us in the championship. So now we're in the Premier League. They shouldn't we and we couldn't really rely on them too much in 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 the championship, especially someone like Abubakar Kamara, who I think is actually linked with a move away today. But yeah, that's been our that's they're definitely going to be in, increase our options of what we've got. They're not going to be the answer. They're not they're not going. I don't think they're going to slot in and bag you know ten goals for the end of the season. But they're definitely going to be adding the the, the need. I think pace, but players up front who've got pace who can also. Sh- sort of finish because we've got pace in Lookman, uh, Cavalera and Reed, but necessarily not all not all of them are great are clinical with their chances. And if you look at someone like Josh Madger over over the last couple of seasons at Bordeaux, you know, he's got I think what nine goals in nineteen starts or something, which, you know, it's not amazing, but it's better than what we've had this season, you know. I think our top goal scorer is Bobby Reed with maybe six or seven goals and I think he only scored like two or three last season. So he's really up to his game. And so I think these are the type of players we should be looking at. I don't necessarily think they're going to be the answer, but as I said, it's definitely an improvement on what we already have. Um, I guess moving on to sort of looking forward for for the next few games, obviously a big game against West Ham at the weekend. Um, I obviously, as a West Ham fan, I've quite keenly watched the game that we played against you earlier in the season at our stadium. And to be honest, I predicted a a big win for us and it was anything but that. I thought Fulham were really unlucky and obviously there was the missed penalty right at the end. I mean, in terms of the looking forward to this match of the weekend, do you think you've got a, a better chance of getting something from this game than you did in that one at the time? It's hard to say because I think, you know, that game against West Ham, I think the performance surprised us as Fulham fans as well. But bar the defeat to Liverpool on the weekend and, you know, I think Liverpool, think people have sort of underestimated this Liverpool team. They're sort of saying I don't think they were ever out of the title race. I mean they were you know, they've got the quality, you know, they didn't have Marnie on the pitch on the weekend and they still looked uh, sublime when you, especially when you got you know, Mo Salah's got what, twenty goals this season and he's not even hit uh, his his best his best form yet. So yeah, no, West Ham it's 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 it's, it's gonna be a very tough game and my only issue is I always feel like West Ham do get a result at Craven Cottage. It, it, it's something that always seems to happen. You know, I remember the game two years ago I think it was a Saturday 5.30 game around Christmas time. And, you and it know, was really you, cold. Yeah, it was freezing cold. I think you guys, you guys played fairly poorly, but you, I think you just got, was it a 2-0 victory, I want to say? I yes, think maybe uh, Snodgrass and Antonio. Snodgrass, Snodgrass, Snodgrass and Antonio. a really nice goal from yeah, outside yeah. the box. Yeah. So I, it's going to be a tough game. And it's I think this game really depends on what happens when we play Leicester on Wednesday night. Because if we get a positive result, whether that's three points or... You know, especially if that's three points. You know, we beat we beat Leicester early on the season, so there's no reason why we can't do it again. Um, if we get three points against uh, Leicester, I think you know everyone will be back on. If and if we get some signings over, over over the line today, I think everyone will be happy and confident going into this West Ham game. But if we lose or it's another draw, and that and that coincides with like a Brighton or a Newcastle getting uh, topping our results, so if we lose and they get draw, or we draw and they get a win. I think you know, although people will be thinking we can still stay up. I think, you know, the confidence will be down in the team. But, you know, there's no reason why well, we can't, you know. We, 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 you know, it was a very even game when we played you guys last time. You know, in that first in that first half, you know, both teams could have scored multiple goals. You know, Ariola was on, on good form for us. We, we could have scored against you guys. Um, and obviously, if it wasn't for that Lutman penalty, he's obviously, he's bounced back from that penalty brilliantly. But if it wasn't for that penalty, obviously, we would have, we would have got a point, and I think a deserved point in that game. So it, I think it will be a very even game. And I think that's what happens, you know, with this Fulham team this season, we're not getting the results that we need, but we're not, we're not, we're being competitive against every every team in the division. You know, when we, even when we played Manchester City, we only lost 2-0 and one of them was a dubious penalty from a Raheem Sterling uh, collision with one of our centre-backs. So I think it will be a very close game. It's just interesting to see sort of how confident the fans and the players will be. It's go- yeah, so that's going to be totally dependent on how we get on against Leicester on Wednesday night. And we're at the halfway point of the season pretty much now with 20 games played. Uh, Fulham currently sitting on 14 points. How many more points do you think you need this season to stay up? I think to stay up this season, we're probably going to need uh, another 20. I've, I think 35, 36 is probably going to be what you're going to need to stay up this season. But if us and West Brom continue our form, you probably only need you know, 25, 30 if you're looking from above. But I think if you're looking at us and West Brom, I think we we need 35 to stay up, if that makes sense. You know, the other teams of us might need less because we won't receive or get up to that point mark. But yeah, I do think 35 points is what you should be aiming at. And 
I feel like when when it comes to this Fulham team, and the good thing is about this season is is game after game after game. I'm finally thank, looking forward to next week when there isn't you know a midweek Premier League fixture. So with and because obviously we got knocked out of the FA Cup by Burnley, so we won't be playing in the midweek uh, fifth round games. But yeah, I'm I think another twenty points, and I I think we've got it in us to do that. I really do. I do. I do think we have got the quality in our squad to do that. It is just Scott Parker adapting this system that has been so good for us defensively just to create more chances because again that's our issue you know that West Brom game we could have scored four or five goals by half time and you know we look so good and we've got the, we've got pace out wide and in our in our wing back areas we've got pace up top in Adamana Lutman and Bobby Reedon you know as we've mentioned so yeah no I think another 20 points and you know when we went down two seasons ago and we were absolutely terrible we won seven games so, like, you know, if you're looking and comparing that team to this season, I think they're on the same amount of points after the same amount of games. You know, that team ended up winning five more games in this team at that point. So there's no reason why we can't adapt this and then go on a run of good form. But it is going to be tough because, you know, we have we have played, you know, Brighton twice now and West Brom twice. So, it, you know, you're running out of those games where you could really target the points. So we are going to have to surprise people, I think, to stay up now because of the games we, we've got upcoming. But as I said, we won away at Leicester early on in the season, so there's no reason why we can't cause a couple more upsets. We've just heard from Dom about his thoughts about Fulham, and I think he's fairly optimistic that Fulham might be able to get a result against West Ham this weekend. What do you reckon? Do you reckon you can recover from that Liverpool loss? Yeah, it's going to be a tricky one, because on on paper, looking at the league table, it should be a win for us. Um, and I, I would say I feel confident that we can get a win. I think our players, from from what you hear coming out of the club at the moment, there's a huge, massive sense of team spirit around the place, great sense of morale. And I think they'll be hurting from that Liverpool game because they probably all know that they gave Liverpool a bit too much respect, which was exactly what I said I didn't want them to do um, on last week's episode. So I think there will definitely be some sort of wrongs to put right in this game and players will be up for it. Obviously, Dom was saying to us about Fulham's issues, scoring goals and obviously... As while we're recording this on deadline day, we don't know exactly how that's going to pan out for them. But even if they do get someone in, not sure whether they'll be sort of going straight into the team or not. So I have to be positive and back my team to win this game, um, which often comes back and bites me when I do that. But I'm going to go for it. I've gone for a 2-0 win for West Ham as well. So 2-0 for Southampton and 2-0 for West Ham. It's going to be a good weekend for both of us if, if it goes my way. Yeah, I think Fulham obviously have improved a lot lately. I think they were really unlucky not to get a win at West Brom, but they just seem to take their foot off the gas at the wrong time and... I think if they could, probably could get a result out of this game, and it wouldn't surprise me if they do, I think a lot will depend on who they start with up front. We saw Mitrovic be really, really important for them against West Brom. Yes, he didn't score, but he was influential in the way they started playing. I'm going to go for another one-all draw. I can, I can see Fulham perhaps going ahead early, and then maybe West Ham start to fire up towards the end of the game. But but something tells me Fulham might be able to get something out of this one. Yeah, no, I think that there's, it's a definite possibility. I mean, I... I think I predicted us to beat them 3-0 last time around. And as, as we were saying with Dom, it didn't go that way at all. So I'm definitely not going to get too carried away early on because last time I went into that game confident we were going to absolutely smash them. And it was very, very painful viewing um, in the end. So yeah, probably uh, probably not something for me to get too carried away on. No, and just one thing. Obviously, the transfer window is closing as, as we speak. It's only two hours left in the transfer window. And still, West Ham haven't brought in a striker to replace Sebastian Haller. Does that concern you for the rest of the season? It does concern me a bit, definitely. I mean, I've, I've just got to hope that Antonio stays fit because if he does, I back him to be a, a great striker for us for the whole season and I think he'll score more goals for us than many of the strikers that we could have brought in on deadline day. In some ways, I'm glad that we haven't just gone for a panic buy and brought in someone on big wages just to fill a gap and, and replace Haller. But it does make me wonder why we let Haller go without having any idea of a replacement lined up. You know, okay, they may have had an idea of who they wanted to sign, but surely you would want to make sure that that was a fairly realistic option before letting your forty million pound striker leave the club. Even though Haller wasn't performing, I'd rather have him on the bench, able to come on when Antonio's injured, than have nobody there. Some rumours coming out that the way Moyes is hoping to use Lingard is to potentially free up Yarmolenko as sort of like a backup striker, but. Yarmolenko has kind of filled that role towards the end of the last couple of games and I've not seen him show any sign of being particularly suited to that role. So Moyes must have seen something in training if if that's the case to make him think that will work. But it's definitely a worry. We just need our sort of good fortune to carry on and Antonio to stay fit and, and I think we'll be okay. But any sign of him pulling up with a hamstring injury is going to be absolutely horrific for any West Ham fans to see, especially considering how far we've come this season. It would be gutting to miss out on 
European football because we we weren't able to get a replacement striker in the transfer window. Yeah, fingers crossed for you. It's not an oversight and it's something that's been calculated by the the manager and the board, I guess. By moving on, we have Manchester United versus Everton. A fixture earlier on in the season that Man United were able to get a win in. Uh, They're obviously much better away from home than they are at home at the moment. The last couple of home games haven't been all that convincing. They they lost to Sheffield United, which was an awful result from a Manchester United point of view. And when you're in the middle of a title race, you really think you can get points on the board to try and keep up with Manchester City and then you're dropping points to the team who are bottom of the Premier League. Not ideal. And then you look at Everton, again, who just coming off the back of a really, really poor result in a game they should be winning uh, against Newcastle. Again, they had their full flow of attacking players on the pitch, Charleston, Rodriguez, Calvert-Lewin, but they weren't able to find a goal against the Newcastle side who have been doing nothing else but losing games recently. So two teams who you would think should be doing a lot better uh, currently, but not doing so. And this is a good matchup, I guess, because it's two teams very close to each other in the in the league. And it'll be interesting to see just how one team takes the initiative, I guess, in, in getting up the table. Because if Manchester United win this game, then, you know, they kind of leave Everton way behind and a win for Everton could take them right up into the top four. So it's, a, it's an intriguing game. Yeah, I think that's what Everton fans will be really frustrated about with that result against Newcastle, given the other teams around them dropping points. Obviously, Tottenham dropping points, West Ham dropping points, Leicester dropping points, and and obviously United as well. Um, If Everton actually want to get that game, I think they'd be sat in fifth place, only three points off Leicester, who are in fourth, and Everton would have two games in hand. So they'd be feeling really, really confident of pushing into that top four. But a game like that against Newcastle, where you go into it, odds on favourites massively and then allow Newcastle to just dictate the game and, and get a win like that, it's going to be demoralising for the players and it's going to have cause the manager to have some concerns about whether he can rely on those players to get them through the rest of the season. So I think this is a huge game because they need to bounce back from that quickly and a win against Man United, who obviously are sitting in second in the table at the moment, would be a great victory for them to bounce back from that. And, and like I said, with their games in hand, it puts them in a perfect position to then climb up the table. But I'm not sure, really. I I think what we saw, whilst I said that I didn't think Newcastle's display was a sign that they were moving on to their next level, I I did find Everton's performance quite worrying in terms of how it's going to affect them going forward. And I think they they showed a frailty there that Ancelotti will not want to be seeing from his team too often. Um, And they definitely showed that their defence is... um, not that capable of keeping out a, a good striker or a good sort of bit of forward play counter attack, and that's what we know United can do really well. Um, I've gone for a, an entertaining two-two draw on this one. I think plenty of goals. Neither team has convinced me defensively the last few weeks, so I think that's probably a fair prediction. Yeah, I was thinking along the same lines to be honest. The one thing that slightly sways me towards Manchester United in this matchup is that we've not seen Fernandez at his best lately, and I'm sure. Eventually, he's going to start being that influential player that we've seen for the first third of the season. I mean, he can't keep putting together performances like he's been playing the last couple of games because, as we've seen, it affects Manchester United really badly and they can't score goals. So I would expect him to maybe up his game, maybe just find that extra gear and and help United grind out a win in this one. Um, I do think they're going to be goals as well, though. I've actually gone for a 3-2 Manchester United win. Perhaps Fernandez penalty will just edge this game for Manchester United. Yeah, it has been a while since we've seen a Fernandez penalty, hasn't it? So it's probably probably well overdue one. I'm sure he'll be hoping for one because that's often what all it takes, isn't it? A penalty, get the goal, kickstart back on form, and he'll be getting goals and assists all over the shop again. So, yeah, you could well be right with that one. We'll have to wait and see, but I do think it'll be an entertaining one. So hopefully... Um, Hopefully one that we'll be able to sit down and watch and, and enjoy. Uh, moving on, we've got Tottenham, who had a horrific result at the weekend. And they're taking on West Brom, who are really, really suffering this season, having a terrible run of form recently. We've said Sam Allardyce has not worked his magic on this occasion. Yes, they got a draw against Fulham, but it, it's still, you know, realistically, they, they should be hoping to win those games and down at the bottom and I don't think a draw does them any favours just like it didn't do Fulham any favours so probably the perfect opportunity for uh, Mourinho to get their team back onto winning ways you'd have thought a good sort of leaky defence to come up against when you're missing Harry Kane you need a team that's not going to be particularly solid defensively to use um, people like Son and Ndombele etc to maybe get their chance to get some goals yeah you think that's the way it's going to go usually look at this matchup Tottenham West Brom at Tottenham and you'd expect Tottenham to yeah put three or four past West Brom but Lately, Tottenham haven't been themselves, and yes, that's because they haven't had Harry Kane, but they just seem to have, I don't know, lost something about the way they've been playing. Um, the formation probably isn't ideal in terms of the way they're having to now rework it to fit in someone that's going to replace Kane. Uh, I think they went with Bergwijn up front against Brighton, uh, but he didn't play particularly effectively, and 
We've seen from Gareth Bale absolutely nothing this season. Um, maybe he'll finally get that run of games that will see him find his form. But at the moment, it doesn't look like money well spent at all. And for West Brom, yes, they've struggled. But recently, they've started scoring goals. And yes, they didn't score against Man City. But that's always difficult against for every team in the Premier League. But before that, they'd scored you know, in a couple of games on the row. And I think if they can find goals, they will start to cause teams like Tottenham trouble. Uh, it might be too early for them to get a result at Tottenham in this game in terms of finding their footing and, and where, how they need to play for the rest of the season. But I think they might surprise a lot of teams in the next couple of weeks. Um, they're making some signings in the transfer window as well. We've seen Ainsley make the Niles go there. We've seen a couple of other players. Um, I think they signed a striker, Diagne, last week. He got an assist on his debut. So I think Sam Allardyce might start working his magic at some point and some of these signings might just play a really pivotal part to their survival push. So I'm not going to predict a West Brom win here. I think that would be too ballsy of me. But... I do think they'll get a goal and I think they'll make Tottenham's life quite difficult in this game. So I might go for a 2-1 Tottenham win, but I think it'll be a struggle. Wow, OK, yeah. You're sort of backing Big Sam to start having an impact, which I didn't think I'd hear you saying, to be honest. It could well happen. Who knows? I mean, I, I still do have some respect for him for sort of the, the time he spent at West Ham and he did get us through some really tough periods and he always was really good at pulling out like a, a, a big result when we needed one. So, you know, you never know. Maybe maybe he will be able to do that with West Brom. It's really going to come down to how well the new signings bed in because he's definitely sort of put some pressure on the, the players that are in the team at the moment by signing some new players. Um, and if they can come in and, and play well, then you'd think you might see a slightly different lineup from West Brom over the next few weeks. However, having said that, um, I don't think they're going to get anything from this game. And I have gone with a, a Tottenham 3-0 win. I just, From what I've seen of West Brom recently, I just don't see where they're going to be able to get a win. They may score goals, but I just don't see how they're going to be able to defend and score goals and, and actually get through with a win. So I think unless Allardyce does work some miracles, it's probably not going to be good news for them going forward. All right, moving on, we have Wolves versus Leicester. Two teams we're used to seeing in the top half of the table fighting for that Europa League place. But this season, we've only seen... One of these two do really great things, and that's been Leicester sitting in fourth in the Premier League at the moment, and Wolves all the way down in 14th without a win in six. Uh, really struggling at the moment. I think there's more to it now than just that Jimenez injury. I think the team's really suffering on a confidence level, and but they've been really poor for months now. I think the last win they got was on the 15th of December against Chelsea, and even that game was pretty close. I don't think they played particularly well. They just hit Chelsea on the counter right at the very end. And I don't know, for, for Wolves, from my point of view, I think they must start to wonder about their manager. I think I would at this point because, yes, we've seen great things from, from Nuno Espirito Santo over the last couple of years. But recently, this Wolves team is unrecognisable from the team that we've seen in recent years. They've not been playing attractive football. They've not been getting goals. They've not been getting good results. And it's something we've not seen from Wolves up until this point. And I think it's going to be a big struggle for them to snap out of this slump they're in because... Losing to Crystal Palace is not great for any team in the Premier League, and that's what they did at the weekend. They didn't really create too much. I think William Jose had a couple of good chances, but a striker who hasn't played a lot of games recently for, I think he came from Real Sociedad, just didn't really look quite sharp enough. And if they're going to pull away from danger, they're going to have to rely on him for a lot of the goals. And I don't know if he's going to be that guy for them. And then again, Leicester have had a really good season, but they really they had it really tough at the weekend against Leeds. I thought Leeds had a great game plan for that match and they went in and counter-attacked Leicester from the start and it paid off and they, they really looked impressive in that game and Leicester probably missed Jamie Vardy more than ever. So yeah, two teams who definitely need a win in this one. I would like to see Wolves pull away from danger, but I think they'll struggle to do it against Leicester. So yeah, I think I might side for a Leicester win in this one. Yeah, the Wolves form is definitely a worry. We've said time and time again about Jimenez, but I think you're right. You've got to start looking beyond that because, okay, you've you've got one player that's a very, very key player for the team and has been injured and obviously can't play. And that makes a huge difference to their style of play and how sort of potent they are up front. But it does get to a stage where actually you can't just blame it all on one injury to one striker. There's there's 11 other players that are out on the pitch and it's not like they don't have forward options. They do have players that can play up there. And as you said, they've signed William Jose, who obviously hasn't had a great first start. He obviously played... Um, as a substitute, I think against Chelsea didn't really get much of a chance to sort of have an impact there and then played the full 90 against Crystal Palace, a team who have been poor themselves this this season and obviously were, he was unable to score against them. Wolves need him to start scoring some goals. Just I don't know why, I've just got a feeling he will score in this game. Um, I think it would almost be sort of apt that two teams that are le- have, have lost their sort of talisman striker come up against each other in the new January 
signing comes in and scores for Wolves. But I also think Leicester are going to go ahead and win this game because I think they've overall they've shown they're a much better team and they are capable of pulling out results even without some of their best players on the pitch. Um, despite that Leeds result of the weekend, I think that was really a blip in their season rather than a, a sign of things to come. So I've, I've gone with Wolves to get the goal, um, but Leicester to win 2-1. OK, I thought pretty similar then, along similar lines at least. I've gone for a narrow 1-0 Leicester win. I think they'll just have enough. Maybe a goal from Harvey Barnes or Madison. Their two most potent attacking players will probably be enough to get a win and yeah, lump the pressure on Nuno Espirito Santo and yeah, plunge Wolves into a, a relegation battle, it seems. Okay, moving on, we have probably the biggest game of the weekend. Liverpool sitting in third place against top of the league Man City. Again, we always look forward to every season. Uh, two of the best teams in the Premier League for four or five years now. And whenever they come up against each other, it's always great to watch. And if anything, this is probably as important as any game's ever been between these two clubs. Uh, Liverpool desperately need a win to, to propel them back into that title race. And Man City, if they win this game, could go clear of all the teams chasing them um, with, a couple, with a game in hand as well. So... A massive, massive chance for both clubs to try and, I guess, cement their title push. And I guess Liverpool arguably need to win more. Yeah, Liverpool definitely need to win this one. Um, I think if City win, it puts them seven points above Liverpool with a game in hand. A 10-point gap, as good as Liverpool are, that's not possible because you just don't see Man City dropping 10 more points than Liverpool over the course of the rest of the season with, with what, 18 games, uh, 17, 18 games to play. Um, it will be at that stage. It's just they're not going to drop 10 points from that, having already played some of the big games already. So this is an absolutely huge game. And I think, sadly, I'm going to have to do what I always do with these big, exciting games and predict a really, really boring stalemate because neither team can afford to lose it. Liverpool can't afford to lose and City won't want to give uh, Liverpool a chance to win because then it really does close that gap. And if Liverpool do win, um, it brings Man United back into play as well because at the moment there's a three-point gap to Man United from City, but that, that could go down to back down to zero um, if United win and City lose. So lots of different permutations in this and obviously Leicester will be hoping um, for a draw because it will get them back involved in uh, in a chance to overtake both of those teams. So yeah, really huge one, but I think it probably will be a draw and I think Leicester will come out the happiest team of, of all from that particular sort of fixture. Yeah, I agree. It could be one of those games that gets built up to be the best game of the season. Turns out to be one of the worst games of the season. Um, both of these teams have pretty easy midweek fixtures as well. They play well, Liverpool play Brighton and Man City face Burnley, so you'd expect both teams to win that and come in with some winning momentum. I think the only thing that probably plays slightly into Man City's hands in this matchup is is still that defensive weakness for Liverpool. We saw Liverpool look fairly comfortable against West Ham, but I think, in all fairness, West Ham didn't offer all that much to worry them. Uh, Nat Phillips came in, did a fairly solid job, and Jordan Henderson is starting to look like a fairly established centre-back, but I do think Man City, and especially Pep, will target those two. And... Yes, they don't have a striker right now, Man City, but I think we've seen the introduction of Gabriel Jesus recently in, in games and I think possibly that could just be enough to unsettle Liverpool and, and perhaps just edge a, a result for Man City. So I'm actually going to go for a narrow 1-0 Man City win and I think if they do get it, it could be yeah curtains on the title for Liverpool. Yeah, I think if, if it goes the way you've predicted it, then that's uh, it's got to be game over for Liverpool and it'll be really disappointing for them. Um, I've I've gone for a one-one, so I think Liverpool will get a goal in this. I think Salah's back, sort of on his form. I mean, yes, he's had several Premier League games now without a win, but he's he's now got two goals against West Ham and two goals against Man United in the FA Cup. So his form actually the last few games has not been that bad at all, and he looked really back at his best against West Ham. I mean, obviously. I think we we played into their hands a bit, but both goals that he scored were exactly what you expect from him. Um, and that would have given him a huge confidence boost. And it would have given all the players around him a confidence boost to sort of just feed him the ball and hope that he does his thing again. So I can see Salah scoring um, and, and it being a 1-1 and probably quite boring. But let's hope that I'm wrong and you're right. Yeah, I just realised that by predicting a 1-0, it would make it six clean sheets in a row for Man City, which I think is a tall ask for any team in the Premier League. So... I'll stick with it, but I could easily see Salah scoring and, and, and breaking that relentless uh, clean sheet pool that Man City has collected recently. OK, and up next, we've got Sheffield United against Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea. Probably a perfect game for him, Thomas Tuchel, early on. Um, nice, hopefully nice, easy one. Probably a good three points that he can pick up there. I mean, Sheffield United have obviously shown some signs that they can perform at a slightly higher level. A couple of wins in their last few games and then... They didn't get torn apart by Manchester City, which a lot of teams thought they would. Um, so some positive signs there as well. But I think it's unfortunately they've had some really, really tough teams to play against recently and they, they have struggled to get any points from them. 
and I can't see them getting points from Chelsea either. It seems like by then the new manager will have had a chance to sort of find out who, which players he wants and probably get a system working, spend some more time with them in training and get them working the way he wants them to. And you can see Chelsea just having quite the edge in this game, really. Yeah, I agree. Um, actually, I think the midweek fixtures are going to play a huge part in this game because Sheffield United play West Brom in what was an absolutely massive game. And you would think that Sheffield United will put everything into that game uh, to win it. And if they come out with either a win or a loss, I think it will definitely affect their performance against Chelsea. So it will be an interesting game. And you look at Chelsea's midweek fixture as well. They've got Tottenham. So I think the midweek fixtures in this fixture are going to play a massive part in this fixture. I know I've just said fixture like four times, but it's going to be an interesting match. And I think Thomas Tuchel will slowly start to, to leave his mark on this team. We saw even in the second game that he completely changed the back four. He brought in Alonso, who didn't play a minute of football this season under Frank Lampard, and also brought in Azpilicueta, dropped both Chilwell and Reese James. And I think he's probably just going to be pretty ruthless with his team selections now. He's going to play the team that he thinks are going to win the games, and that's the way it's going to be. So I expect him to do that going forwards, and that could be to Sheffield United's detriment in this one. I think they're going to win fairly comfortably, actually, and I think Timo Werner might even get a goal. That's a, a bold shout. But yeah, I think talking about the, the changes that Chelsea made at the weekend, I think it's a sign of a really strong personality and a really confident manager to come in and effectively just change something that no one was no one was sitting looking at that Chelsea team thinking oh Ben Chilwell and Reese James are the problem here they're the ones that need to come out of the team and change for this to turn around everyone's been looking up front and saying that's what needs to change and he's almost gone well hold on let's just sort of tweak it around see what you know these are players that haven't played a lot as you said, Alonso hasn't played all season, but we know he is still a very, very good footballer, not least up front. He seems to be absolutely lethal if it, when he gets into the box. So I think, you know, really good signs from him. I'm, I'm pleased to see that he's not just doing what everyone expected him to do. And I think a lot of Chelsea fans are quite excited by the fact that they don't necessarily know what the lineup's going to be. I think under Lampard, it was quite easy to predict wh- who was definitely going to be in the team. And it's quite nice to see a few other players getting a chance and just shows the, the depth of that squad that he can drop two of their best players from the season, Chilwell and James, bring in two completely different players who have a fantastic game themselves and go on to play a key role in, in the win. So maybe uh, Lampard probably does have a bit of, of blame on his head for sort of overlooking some of those players if they if they can have an impact like that. Yeah, Tuchel's starting to look like a bit of a genius, taking out both Chilwell and James and replacing them with Alonso and Azpilicueta and both of them get the goals so inspired management there and you'd expect if those changes keep going for the rest of the season he's going to propel Chelsea up the table Yeah definitely um, I think I've, I've gone for a 2-0 Chelsea win in this one which I think would just be a solid enough win for them I don't think that they're not showing any signs that they're going to become like a sort of a Man City or a Liverpool and start absolutely demolishing teams but I think they'll, they'll start to perform a bit more solidly a bit more like we're used to seeing them play consistent 2-0 wins, maybe the odd 3-0 win, and, and they'll they'll work their way back up the table again, for sure. Yeah, I agree. I've gone with a two-goal margin as well. A uh, two-goal margin win, that is a 3-1 win for Chelsea. I expect them just to be way too strong for Sheffield United. And like I said, I think that midweek fixture for Sheffield United will take a lot out of them. Yeah, you can definitely see that happening. It's a, it's, As you said, it's a must-win game for them if they've got any chance of crawling out of the relegation zone, which I think we probably all agree is a very, very slim chance. But... If it is going to happen, they need to be winning every game that they've got against the other teams around them. So I'm sure you're right. The manager's going to be looking at that as if there's a game that they're going to get any chance of winning um, out of those two, they're, they're going to target the West Brom game rather than the Chelsea one. OK, and then the final match of the weekend, Leeds against Crystal Palace. Um, Leeds really, really impressed me against Leicester. You touched on it earlier when we were talking about Leicester. They they set up perfectly. They played their counter-attacking style of football and, and Leicester really couldn't handle it. And the goals they scored were brilliant. Bamford deserves a huge amount of credit for the way he took his goals, um, especially the second goal. Fantastic finish. Um, really, really nice. Didn't absolutely leather it like you'd expect some strikers to do in that situation. Just sort of hit it exactly where it needed to go. Perfect precision. It's sort of what we've come to see from him this season, which is really nice for Leeds to have a player that they can rely on like that. Um, as for Crystal Palace, obviously, yeah, they got the win against Wolves, but I still think they've been really, really poor to watch this season and I don't see them getting anything from this game at all. I think Leeds are going to be far too good for them, to be honest. Yeah, I looked at this game and I looked at where, the, where both teams are in the Premier League and obviously Leeds sit in 12th and Crystal Palace only sit a place behind them in 13th and I thought the difference between these two teams would be night and day, not you know a couple of points because Leeds have been infinitely better than Crystal Palace this season and just haven't really, I guess, got the results to prove that. But we've seen recently, especially against Leicester in their last game, that Leeds United were just 
on fire. And I think in some games this season, we've seen it where they just are unplayable. And I think that's more to do with the way Leeds play and the way they're set up and their game plan is just perfect for that match. Uh, yes, it's not going to be perfect for every team they play because I don't think Bielsa's finessed his tactics that well yet. But as we've seen, that game against Leicester, I mean, every single player on the pitch had a great game. I thought Bamford looked really good, as he has done all season, in my opinion. And Harrison, again, really good on the wing with Rafinha. And defensively, they didn't really look that troubled against, albeit a Leicester side that didn't have Jamie Vardy, but still they have enough attacking players to, to cause you a problem. And they didn't really get troubled too much. And then you look at this Crystal Palace side, who are obviously so reliant on Zaha. Um, he didn't score at the weekend against Wolves, but Eze stepped up and got the goal again. And I think they're almost becoming one of those teams now who are relying on two players. Um, if Sahar and Eze don't play well, then they're probably not going to pull out results. And they're very similar players. And they, they do risk being very predictable in that all of their attacking outputs and they come through those two players. So it's interesting that they picked up a win against Wolves. I didn't see it coming, but it's a big win for them on, in terms of where it puts them this season. And yeah, I do expect Leeds to be way too strong for them though in this one. Um they're in good form now, two wins in a row, and they're finally starting to look like the leads we saw in the first couple of weeks of the season. So, yeah, I can see it being a fairly comfortable scoreline as well, actually. I've gone for 3-0 leads. I think Bamford, Rafinha and Harrison, they're just going to cause Crystal Palace's defence too many problems to keep out. I thought we were going to get through a whole episode without predicting the same result, but saved it right to the end. I've gone with 3-0 leads as well. Um, right at the end. Yeah, had to, had to have one of them. No, I think absolutely... Yeah. With Crystal Palace and Leeds in this one, it's almost like a complete clash of managerial styles, isn't it? You've got Bielsa, who has a sort of really unique stamp on his style, and then you've got Hodgson, who's just very sort of ready salted, isn't he, with sort of the style of play that he's going to have in, in for most of the season. So I think Bielsa's tactically just going to completely outwit him in this one. And if there's a team that Bielsa can find weaknesses in, it I think I could find weaknesses in this Crystal Palace team as a manager. Um, Bielsa will probably have a, a list as long as his arm ready to present in his midweek briefing uh, to the players. And I think they'll be looking forward to this one as a good opportunity to play some really nice football and get some more goals. Bamford will be hoping that he can carry on his scoring streak. And I think it could be the start, as you say, of sort of seeing Leeds play the way we saw them play at the start of the season. And, and hopefully for them climbing up into the top half of the table, maybe a late charge for the European places probably might be a bit too much for them, but they'll, it's a good ambition for them to have. And I think that will push them on to keep fighting right the way through to the end. Yeah. Like you said, it's uh, Crystal Palace, pretty salted against Leeds who are probably, you know, Paprika and I know which one I'd prefer. So um, it should be fairly one-sided, I think. And maybe we need to do a tier list of all the Premier League teams as crisp flavours at some point, because I think that'd be pretty fun. But the only two things that these two managers have in common is, is an age. I think they're both similar age. But other than that, there's night and day between these two teams. And if I'm wrong about this and Crystal Palace do get a result against Leeds, then I'll eat my words and I'll probably look like the worst uh, pundit on this podcast. <laughs> eat your words and eat a pack of ready salted crisps as well, just to rub it in. Oh, that, that would be that would be apt, yeah. And I'll have the paprika, thanks. <laughs> All right, that brings an end to this episode of the 3PL podcast. A big thank you again to Dom for coming on. And if you are a Fulham fan, make sure you check out the podcast he's on, the Fulhamish podcast, for news and match day content. And finally, a big thank you to everyone out there who continues to listen each week. We'll be back again same time next week to preview all the upcoming games in the Premier League. Until then, make sure you are following us on social media. That's Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all our updates. And make sure you are subscribed to our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. We'll catch you all again next week.